Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the ill-advised midnight adventure of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who are supposed to learn what our Patronus is soon, but we would also like to know what animal we would turn into. My name is Sarah. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? I take umbrage to that, and not the Dolores kind. We are very well-advised midnight adventures. <laughs> I wholeheartedly disagree. Noted. I feel like I'm going to find that joke hilarious at some point, but right now I'm just looking at my book, looking at my page going, Umbridge? <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to it, Spencer. In a couple of books, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. It's, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get Put there. Put your pen on that one. <laughs> in, your, in your red thread room of disaster. Oh, that, that, that separate little Word document that I keep opening and resaving is getting it to be a jumbled mess. <laughs> yeah, th- th- with the number of things that he has to put a pin in, he's gotten a tomato and a couple of other things just to keep track of them all. <laughs> <laughs> well said, well said. So we are here talking tonight about this, the 18th chapter of the third book of Harry Potter, uh, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. And uh, we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid-fire recap, and uh, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, which I'm very excited to hear what will come of this chapter. Um, Newbie's Notes from Spencer, uh, we award house points, and then there are, there are questions and queries, which I don't know. I mean, Lupin has just <laughs> given us an explanation, so what else could we possibly need to know? He has pressed the info button, and he has pressed it hard. <laughs> Um, so, are we ready? Are we ready for a recap? Uh, uh, yeah, I am. Uh, BJ, how much time does Sarah have this time around to go through this chapter? Um, I think about one minute fifteen. <laughs> That's not an option, BJ. Uh, like the Slytherin Dumbledore I have, I can make any option that I want because I can pull it out of a hat, and I don't even have to rhyme or keep tune because on brand. Spencer, I'm going to need you to fix this. Sarah, you have any opportunity right now to make points. 145 is your goal. I think you can do this. Do you want to go for any accelerators on points? Uh, yeah, okay, yes. Yeah. So I um, can certainly meet 145. I would like to put a bet on my time. Okay, what's your bet? I would like to bet that I can do this in 1 minute 30 seconds. Okay, so that's your within 6 second bet? Yes. Okay. Actually, uh, wait, can I ch- amend that just a little bit? No, this is a court of law, and you're stuck with your original pleadings. Yes! Okay, what, do you, what do you got? <laughs> I just was going to give myself an extra second or two. <laughs> okay, so 132. Yes. All right. Uh, the giant novelty stopwatch is ready to go, if you are. So Harry, Ron, and Hermione are having trouble processing the idea that Scabbers might actually be Peter Pettigrew, given that he's, you know, dead. Sirius says he meant to kill Peter 12 years ago, but got bested. Lupin has to hold him back from doing it now. They deserve an explanation. Black finally stops struggling and starts to sulk. Lupin uh, starts to explain why every, everything everyone on that street saw, thought they saw 12 years ago is an illusion. First of all, the Marauder's map doesn't lie, and it says Pettigrew is here. It turns out that the Ministry didn't know there were three unregistered Animagi running around Hogwarts. 
James, Sirius, and Peter learned to transform as students to be able to accompany Lupin went to the Shrieking Shack when he transformed into a werewolf each month. There weren't potions then, and the only way Lupin could come to Hogwarts was to be quarantined. The Whomping Willow was planted to guard the tunnel entrance. His friends figured it out and spent years learning to transform to be able to accompany him, which kept him a little less werewolfy. But then they all started uh, roaming around, having great adventures as Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. Harry's dad transforms into a stag. Despite the dangers of Lupin ro- roaming around in wolf form, they kept going out with a very Harry-like flair for not telling the authorities relevant information. In fact, Lupin has been s- still been struggling with what to tell Dumbledore all this year. It turns out that Sirius lured Snape at school with them at the same time to the Shrieking Shack one month to pay him back for his snooping, but James pulled him back at the last minute, although he's already he'd already seen Lupin as a werewolf. At exactly this moment in Lupin's explanation, Snape emerges from Her- from under Harry's forgotten invisibility cloak, wand raised. You j- just made it as a result of going for 132. My count was, one thir- <laughs> was 135. Excellent. I will take that. Okay, you were getting well in range now to get, you're catching up so fast to actually win this at the end. <laughs> it was it was a learning curve for me, Spencer, but you don't present a Ravenclaw with a task that has metrics associated with it. And they don't do it. All right, well done. Thank you. So, so um, we're going to take a little break from from certain uh, wizard wheezes that I think we're going to come back to in the next chapter. Okay, um, and I'm just gonna sort of say that this is probably the weirdest chapter that we've had where there's actual exposition sort of some character development um but a lot of it doesn't (laughs) make sense um (laughs) until uh, you get a lot more explanation so Mm -hmm. this sort of seems to be on brand and kind of funny um i think honestly for this chapter i more have uh newbies notes than wizard wheezes oh um so shall i set the structure and you jump in as as you will uh yeah i think so okay uh well opening it up i have to say your both mental is the single best response yet in this book to weird things that have happened (laughs) well let's just apply that to nearly every situation we encounter (laughs) that it's perfect that is just such well that makes no fundamental sense and i now question your sanity great perfect response Going from there, I must say, as an attorney, I would find Sirius Black to be the single most frustrating client ever. I mean, this is this is the embodiment of why you never put a criminal defendant on the stand, because Lupin is trying so hard. He is working so hard to convince them that he's not an active threat, that he's not a murderer, that they need to, you know, look at this man with fresh eyes. All while Black is basically frothing at the mouth behind him, trying to murder something in front of him. Like, they, they go through a conversation several times of, he didn't, he's not a murderer, he falsely accused with Black helpfully chiming in, yes, I didn't kill him, but now I finally can. You're not helping yourself, man. Please, calm the rage for a half second. I know you spent 12 years in the worst place on the planet, but for this moment, work with Lupin here. We call that single-minded focus in, in other areas of the world. Yeah. <laughs> man, he is built, I mean, it, he seemingly has been able to survive in part by just Focusing on one thing and one thing only is that I'm out and now I get to inflict harm on the person I'm blaming for being there. So would you say he's kind of like hounding after Peter Pettigrew, uh, like a dog with a bone? I wouldn't have. Yes, you did. So yes, that works now. (laughs) Uh, 
I really enjoy that Lupin is utterly determined to lay all the cards out. Because I feel like it's an almost meta response to so many of the problems that have been happening in these books to the characters being directly as a result of them not talking and sharing information. It's like Lupin actually just skim-read the last few books and went, Oh, that's what's causing all the problems? Let me fix all that now. He also seems to have done a little skimming of his own life story to figure that out as well. (laughs) I also think that you could make a a fairly good argument for Lupin being um, the antagonist of this book, where the hero is J.K. Rowling. Because he's essentially thwarted everything that she usually tries to do (laughs) in this chapter. And and, and he's done it in such a loopany way. Even when he's trying to guide them through things, he's still doing it in a way that's very well tailored for the individual. Like when Hermione, he's trying to tease Hermione into into, realizing the answer he wants to, he's going full on Socratic in terms of like, okay, that's interesting. Continue on the thought, which is just... It's like, we have all the... There's nothing more important right now than for me to teach you... And to explain to you exactly what's going on so everybody gets it and we're all on the same page. And, and it makes for just such a wonderful visual of, you know, Black foaming at the mouth, desperately clawing to try to get around him. Scrabber's just freaking out and tearing into Ron's chest. Oh, Lupin is just perfectly calm and having a lecture right now. <laughs> He's bringing order to the chaos whether you like it or not. And I like it that also that it's whether you like it or not. He mm-hmm. wants them to be on the same page. He wants to meet them on an individual level and bring them into knowledge. But at the same time, the man is armed to bear and you are going to listen to him. It's a rather intimidating moment of when Ron's trying to walk out of the room and Lupin just calmly walks up, wand raised, and says, You will listen to me, Ron. (laughs) This is, Lupin has his his, uh, pedagogy flip or switch flipped at this moment and there's just no going back (laughs) oh yeah and it 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 makes for a wonderful series of scenes if Lupin goes into what is an info dump that is done in a way that is it doesn't feel overwhelming or burdensome Mm -hmm. it is a Mm -hmm. very interesting series info dump done by a good teacher which is a wonderful way to do an info dump yeah and it's not in the same way that we had some of the other tries uh in different parts of this book where like overhearing a conversation that's just like this is what harry should know now it does reveal some weird information which i'll I'll, i'm going to inquire into (laughs) a little bit once we get to questions but it's just some interesting facts about anime and okay let's pronounce this word correctly animagi am i pronouncing that right yeah yeah Yeah. that's good okay the fact that there's only been a seven of them in a century is interesting at least you know seven officially licensed and regulated which given that we find out there were three more that are entirely outside of that particular government limitation suggests there might be more out there somewhere but it, it again puts to a fore that this is a very rare ability seemingly from what we hear as a result of the both difficulty and the dangerousness of the process to gain it yeah if- and it sort of seems like a very interesting thing that i i guess i wonder if it, there are some people that can do it naturally, mm-hmm. or can you imagine McGonagall going through this sort of process? Uh, it, 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 if it at all resembles how the process was for the uh, four characters we see here, it leads to a delightful series of backstories of, you know, the, <laughs> the roguish biker McGonagall during her youth, which I kind of want to read that story now. <laughs> uh, you get Beetle the Bard instead. Okay, can do. It also seems, though, like one of those things that is that is hard to do in the world and requires a lot of, if you're doing it correctly, requ- requires a lot of bureaucratic hoops in addition to, like, getting the ability to do it. But then mm-hmm. 
for like the vast majority of people, it's it wouldn't really be anything other than like a party trick. So why? I think a lot of wizards probably think like I just don't need this. There seems to be almost a suggestion in these books that this is just such a uh, contented society that there's not really much forward momentum for people to want to really do anything necessarily Mm -hmm. that's too outside the norm. It's kind of uh, static in terms of how it functions. So Mm -hmm. anybody that's willing to put in a lot of legwork to do things that are just enough outside the norm and enough outside of established paths can accomplish some incredible things that otherwise be viewed impossible that nobody's ever done before just really because society is so utterly glacial in terms of how it moves about or just so utterly unmotivated in terms of the individual that a certain amount of legwork can go a very long way. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's because there are three professions. There's teaching at Hogwarts, yeah. <laughs> there's working for the ministry, and then there's playing Quidditch. And if those are the only three things that you can do, it doesn't really help you if you're playing Quidditch to turn into a bird. Mm-hmm. Like, you still have to be on your broom and you still have to do stuff. Um I mean, it would be funny to turn into a sloth in the Ministry of Magic, as we saw in certain other movies, but, like, <laughs> it, it's, there isn't a lot of uh, opportunity, it seems, where things like that are, are useful or of interest to most people. And it, it's unfortunate that the apparently sole outlet for ingenuity follows a very British boarding school-like of being incredibly damn mischievous, and that seems to be just the pathway that inventors follow in this series, because that's the one that's available. Mm-hmm. How terrible do you think Dumbledore was when he was a student? Oh, people died. I can't even imagine Dumbledore as a student. Yeah. Uh, I mean, getting to that, but Lupin in the Screaming Shack is really interesting just because it just seems to embody Dumbledore's principles on the idea of the rights and justice for the individual versus the will of the majority. And he comes down really hard on the, on the former, of where he is going to fight and do what he feels is perfectly justified for what the individual needs regardless if it makes it all sense for the safety, well-being, or even just the democratic voting power of the majority. Yeah, I mean, the lengths that he had to go to to keep Lupin quarantined during his episodes. I mean, they're unreasonable. They are. But Dumbledore is unreasonable. He's always going to do what allows the individual to prosper, shine, and have opportunities. That's what Dumbledore runs on. It's basically, if, there, if we ever could say he had a teaching philosophy, it would be that if he, you know spent enough time to actually develop a philosophy <laughs> in the process. But it it leads to some really weird stories, some really interesting uh, and both weird um, events in the past with respect to Lupin as a student that show the dangers, the dangers of Dumbledore's philosophy to the degree it requires people to behave in a way that is respectful of others if you're giving them those kind of individual rights while ignoring what the majority wants. And in the case of people like Lupin and friends, it leads to some really dangerous moments of where they just kind of decided, at being all of, I don't know, 13 or 14 at the time, that they were perfectly content with turning into strange creatures and roaming through the night. <laughs> Safety of the common world be damned. I mean, that's kind of what teenagers are, anyway. <laughs> Gen- so. Generally, teen- teenagers outside of Twilight novels are not also werewolves. Uh, that adds an extra wrinkle of danger to the situation, which... They're not all werewolves, Spencer. One of them was. One of them central was. Yes. And and so many of the problems, the potential problems occur from that. I mean, it's cool that they would, you know, roam the night together and have these wonderful adventures and they develop this wonderful friendship. But Lupin's openly acknowledging now that, yeah, we were being selfish little shits. People could have died. And we knew that. We had... Close burn. We, we, what's the phrase he uses? They had, you know, they had close situations, 
So moments that almost yeah, look close bad. calls. Close calls. And at the time, they, again, being 14-year-olds, just kind of, eh, isn't, that, isn't that hilarious? Someone almost died last night due to us. Funny. Adult Lupin, no however, to... is horrified. L- Adult Lupin right. has gotten past it. Adult Sirius has not. <laughs> but there, so the, I think the other side to this is, is there any, any, any possibility of Dumbledore not knowing exactly what was going on. Oh, I assume Dumbledore knows everything, and it just adds to the list of terrifying moments about Dumbledore's rule of Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knew. He knew all the time. And again, he just shrugged and went, eh, they'll learn. And, you know, in Lupin's case, he was right. Again, safety and well-being of the majority be damned as for that individual character growth. Yeah. In Sirius's case... It is a really rather dark moment. I mean, again, this guy spent the entirety of this conversation tr- plotting his new is, is plotting his first murder, but still a murder here in front of everybody. And honestly, what I find one of the darkest moments for his character is his just utter callous indifference to the idea he almost that his actions almost resulted in the death of another student, even yes. to the point of saying he deserved it. Like you set up a situation of where Snape was going to be confronting blind a werewolf in an enclosed space. Even better, that the were... Do we even know... This is a fun fun follow-up, that do we know from this, or do we know later, to what degree uh, Lupin was involved and knew what was about to happen? Or is this purely something that Sirius just set up without telling people? We do learn more about the situation later and what what happened on that night. I can't remember if we learn more about specifically Lupin's role in it, Um, but we learn some more Uh, about some other roles. I think we do very, very shortly. I think the next chapter, which I might have accidentally (laughs) read. Okay. (laughs) We'll we'll get get to it in there, but I mean, if we've heard, according to Snape's account previously, they all were equally involved and it was an evil plot and just James had a uh, change a heart at the last second to mostly avoid getting punished. This account more matches Dumbledore's that James may not have been as actively involved and took active steps to protect another student. It's probably some mix of the two. But one thing to point out mm-hmm. here is that Lupin was at the time locked up in a shack. And if he wasn't put in the loop about this, that's a really dick move for Sirius to do to Lupin as well, along, along with Snape. Because yes. you're setting up Snape to get murdered, you're setting up Lupin to kill another human being. Either of those aren't wow. great. A Slytherin, so... <laughs> we, we can debate relative worth, but it still falls within the same established criteria of a human. <laughs> but it, it's remarkable that Sirius, whatever else you want to say about him, and this chapter Lupin's diligently trying to defend him, it is still very much a dangerous and dark character flaw for him to just, even all these years later, just say, eh, yeah, I set it up, it was funny, and he deserved it. It's like, would you have had the same response if he died? I think you might have. And that's really, really rough. So I I think that the other maybe cushioning side of this is he has been tortured for the past 15 years or 12. Yes. So I, I think that there might be some extenuating circumstances to, uh, all things surrounding these four people yeah. Or five, I guess, including uh, Snape. Yeah, the- it's unclear that Sirius would have felt this way, or at least said these things, if he had not been stewing on this whole situation for right. 12 yeah. years. My interpretation of it almost was is that unlike Sir- Lupin had an opportunity to grow up from that stage in his life, Sirius 
wasn't able to because he's been locked in prison the last 12 years. Mm -hmm. Lupin's become a proper adult. He's had an opportunity to process and get beyond the the crimes and foibles of his youth. Sirius has spent most of that same developmental period in a jail cell being actively tortured. So what you guys are saying is just the added benefit that he's just been denied the opportunity to become a better person over the years. Mm -hmm. Well, and we can also make some assumptions about what happened just before that, because we know why he presumably was put into jail. So basically, there was a happening with Voldemort Mm -hmm. that was at some point basically between them being in Hogwarts and 12 years ago when he got sentenced to prison. Mm -hmm. So presumably, they've been under some sort of uh, conflict, and then he was put into prison. So to assume that like he has progressed in any sort of meaning- meaningful psychological sense, I think is, uh, I might be attributing a lot more than I should be to uh, what is actually written, but I think it's a reasonable thing to no, have happened. I, I, and I like this aspect of the darkness of his character, where this chapter's meant mm-hmm. defending him from a crime, but still allowing us to see two characters who are very interesting and very complex in a dark way, both past and present. And that's fun writing. That's interesting to see that, these rounded characters in this. But, so would you say he's a seriously black character? You know, I've been diligently trying to avoid making that pun while just flirting with it this entire conversation. <laughs> so, no, I would not. But thank you for doing it for me. Uh, but going, going back a little bit, the I, I love the security mechanism that Dumbledore put in place because it's the most Dumbledore security mechanism possible of where... <laughs> I shall prevent the someone from coming in and out of the mouth of this tunnel by planting a tree over it in a way that totally doesn't close the tunnel. <laughs> sure. It just makes it really unpleasant to try and get into it. Yeah, it makes it unpleasant to get into in a way that animals and fast animals can easily do. It's, it is the most Dumbledore security mechanism possible. It's almost like it has a certain element of malicious compliance of where someone obliged, okay, you're going to go forward with this plan of laying a werewolf in the school, fine. Block off that tunnel. Okay, fine. I'll quote-unquote block off the tunnel. Happy now? Not I really. Think, no, Dumbledore. Thank you. I think we'll and come to find out that Dumbledore is really the the dictionary definition of malicious com- compliance. <laughs> uh, it is interesting. I, I had still at this point assumed that it was a born-in trait for Animagi to de- uh, how they developed. Just find out it is indeed a spell by which, or a process by which they become such. I want to know more. I want to know how, how that occurs, because this is, an inc- this is as you guys noted, in the wizarding world, it would probably just be used for tricks and party favors, but as we've seen throughout these books, it has a lot of utility for someone who has a creative streak. Mm-hmm. Uh, to do, they are to find, they have found a new thing to taunt me with in this chapter, of where they set it up like, oh, so this is what this guy was, and this is what this guy was, and this is what this guy was. What was my dad? What what could prongs be? And Lupin's about to say, and we transition away from that aspect <laughs> of the conversation and don't come back. There's I mean, not clearly th- they're being bullish about it. <laughs> Maybe. Sure. Uh, it. I feel that I'm going to find this out in this book, so they can't taunt me with it. They can't taunt me with it for that many chapters, but I feel like they're going to use it to the maximum ability possible and just like, okay, you've only got like four more chapters in less of this book. We'll taunt you with it about three times a chapter until we get there, because we have a new secret that we're not going to tell you. <sighs> has said it was incredibly dangerous and careless on their part to act as they did, outright monstrously so, in having a werewolf roaming the, roaming the moors in the middle of the night throughout the English countryside. People could have died. 
And Lupin is aware of that and has a certain degree of shame for it. But the main thing he has shame for is interesting. Because this feels like this is the first honest-to-goodness character flaw in Lupin that we've really seen today. Previously, he's been kind of a paragon of teacherly virtues. This is the moment of when he actually admits that he is vaguely human. But it's on an interesting, almost self-interested kind of way of admission. Of where he doesn't admit the necessarily the character flaws that led to it, but he concedes that he's really... Well, he frames it as if I'm a coward. And I'm afraid to confront the idea of people realizing my past sin. I've been able to move past them. I've been able to mature. But that's in part by burying them and not letting anybody noticing that they were there. And he's desperately afraid that if... He tells Dumbledore, Dumbledore will have a more accurate but negative opinion of him. Which is eating him up inside, but I love that the character flaw is talking to Dumbledore. <laughs> because this, this seems to be like a character flaw that everyone in these books have. Like, I, feel like I'm, I almost wonder if Dum among Dumbledore's character flaws, t willing, <laughs> willing to self-analyze to talk with himself would probably be top up on that list, too. <laughs> probably, but I wonder if there's just, like, an aura that, like, he cast around himself just to, like enforce these things where everybody is unhappy talking to Dumbledore and so it's like it's it's the prime spell that every single like person in uh management would cast upon themselves like immediately it's like I don't want to be bothered by the minutia so I'm gonna cast this spell and then there's a you know a requisite bar to actually coming to talk to me this is this is the spell that's just on like a permanent ward in the DMV. If we're just it has an aura emanating about it. Exactly. And the problem is he didn't realize how powerful he was when he cast it. And so we uh, this is this is the entire plot of all of the books. <laughs> the very end of the seventh book, what we learn is. <laughs> um but it is, you know, we have seen a a couple of conversations with Dumbledore before, and it is possible that the spell would work to just make him difficult to talk to, because boy howdy are his conversations odd. Oh yeah. I, imagine what would happen if he put on the uh, sorting hat now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's just like, nope, I'm not, I, I don't need to talk to you, it's fine. Can I go back to just being a hat, please? I, I would adore if there was a moment like four books from now or if we finally cut to where Dumbledore is hiding and it's in his office with an open door policy just sitting there going, I wonder why no one's coming to talk with me. And then suddenly <laughs> I have the realization, was it that spell I cast 25 years ago? <laughs> no, couldn't be. And then just ends right there. <laughs> it's like, oh, I forgot to remove that spell after my last office hours. <laughs> Boy, I would have loved that spell. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yep. Like every single person that had the opportunity would cast that spell, mm -hmm. and so clearly Dumbledore did. I, I feel like we've gotten now two and a half or three versions of the story of how exactly um, James Potter and friends nearly murdered Snape. Uh, the account that Lupin provides, I think, more closely mirrors the vague details we got from Dumbledore, especially compared to Snape's account. But it seems like there's a suggestion here that Snape's account, while inaccurate, is reasonably driven from an amount of uh, ignorance and also just willful, hateful thinking from the people that would place him in that situation. With some justification assuming the worst about them and what they wanted to do. Maybe with some accurate justification when it comes to Sirius Black, but perhaps not as much with James. Though, 
Given that James is dead, I almost feel like that everybody is talking about him with a certain hagiographic kind of lens of where they don't want to speak ill of the dead, maybe have the best view of the man. Because everything we're getting of, you know, James and Lupin and Peter and um, Sirius, they were all rough, dangerous kids. They, they had their own little gang at Hogwarts, and they were, they were mad, bad, and dangerous to know. They, some of them had an opportunity to improve them there. Other ones have just, you know, assumed rat form, apparently, for like 12 years. But it, what we hear from neutral parties suggests that they were not good people, and it's only, it's only really been Lupin that's had a full opportunity to maybe get up beyond that. Don't know better about what, what James's growth into an individual was, and I'm not sure if anyone's ever going to tell us. Well, I mean, presumably, since he's the father of the main character, he was pretty good at some point, or will be painted as so. Um, I'm sort of wondering if we're going to get sort of a Rashomon moment, where... <laughs> we already kind of are. Eh, a little bit. Um, hopefully next chapter. I mean, we we end this chapter with the greatest mic drop of all time from Snape. Of where, that man knows how to make a dramatic entry. Of where, he, <laughs> he is waiting. For, he, we even hear that he's fumbling around outside the room for a second. So clearly he's been waiting in this room for just the most dramatic moment possible to drop the cape and reveal himself wand raised. And he picks a great moment to do it. Uh... I'd entirely even forgotten that they just kind of left the magic cloak just sitting outside when they went into the tree. So he makes full use of that opportunity to enter the scene, and I don't know from here. I don't know what Snape is going to do from here. There's a lot of conflicting factors that are at play here. There's at least three. Mm -hmm. He'll snipe a bit. Sure, yeah, definitely. I I picture him voicing more than a few angers and concerns at these, what, of the people in this room, how many would you reasonably say that Snape mortally hates? Oh, at least three. At least three, and I, I'm not sure whether he has three. enough... Three? Who's the third? Sirius, Lupin, Harry? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I was wondering if you were going to lump Hermione or Ron in there, because <laughs> uh, he's not a fan of any of them. But, no, but uh, doesn't hate enough. them, necessarily. Yes. Well, Snape's not a big fan of the peoples. Uh, everyone falls in a pretty negative category when it comes from him, but when it comes to outright hate, like reserving brain space for the subject of their ultimate downfall and demise. Um, three. Yeah. Three at least. Mm-hmm. I mean, I must say that I'm, I think I'm a little bit more sympathetic to Sirius than, than you are, just because of how Snape is. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, if you're going to torture other people and basically somebody's letting you do it and get hoisted by your own petard like i get that that's a terrible thing for for Sirius to do mm-hmm. but i guess my thinking is that everybody sort of assumed that he's powerful enough that he should be fine like he might get bitten and attacked but like he won't die not that either of those are great well i agree with that part like you know <laughs> but i think it, it comes from sort of a different like you've been messing with us for years now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have you mess with us and you will never do it again. One thing I want to be clear about is I have a lot of sympathy and a lot of complex thoughts when it comes to Sirius Black. I'm really curious to see where they go from the character from here because this seems like a wonderful opportunity to have a Byronic character in the text in terms of someone who is dark, brooding, dangerous and has fundamental character flaws but also monstrous abilities to bring to bear in a way that would be fun to introduce that kind of romantic character into the, into the series. It's still, through that fascinating lens, through his legitimate, you know, wrongs that have been inflicted upon him, there is also a dark and dangerous character that needs to be acknowledged. But yeah. it's understandable. 
I hope that just it doesn't disappear in like two or three chapters and it is a like, okay, well, this has been resolved, so what, I'm going to go off and retire to the countryside. Yeah, I would be very disappointed if he disappears from this narrative or in any way becomes just kind of light and fluffy. You know, that, you've painted an interesting character here and you've given us a whole new dynamic on Lupin that are fun. Don't lose these for the sake of, you know, just polishing off the hard edges. Keep them. They're fun. They're, they make for interesting characters. You will notice that I have been very quiet during this discussion because I cannot say anything about anything that you're talking about. Sarah, you have a wonderful way of being quiet that just radiates amusement that I can almost hear. So, yeah, I've picked up on this. Okay. Just for the... let the record show. Okay. Well, uh, that finishes my surprisingly extended character notes for what amounts to, like, seven pages of text. (laughs) Shall we go on to who won or lost this chapter? Because, Sarah, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah. I think there's a clear winner. Who do you think the winner is, BJ? Snape. Snape is absolutely the winner. Snape gets to do his (laughs) mic drop entrance into this situation. He has everybody at his mercy at this point. He also now knows that Harry has an invisibility cloak, which Mm -hmm. he did not know before. Like, this is great for him. Although he has had to relive some of his past trauma, he's still doing better than he he was. Does he know where this invisibility cloak came from before? Does he know that this is James's invisibility cloak? I think so. Oh, that makes it all the better. This because there's there is there aren't many invisibility cloaks yeah. I believe as Dumbledore was just like hey this is something super cool that your dad gave you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the backhanded like oh and by the way it just doesn't work for like the cool people like me <laughs> but just so you know it's still like super powerful yeah. <laughs> I I absolutely agree with you both for this moment I would love love to have the internal narration going in Snape's mind as he's setting up this moment because I'm just picturing just there are non-stop queen songs that are going off in this guy's <laughs> head at this given second this is a f- also do you think he he's practiced like what he's going to say oh, and oh, yes. like he's muttering to himself as like he's going through like okay so do I want a dramatic pause or just like you know a, a short pause like what do, what word do I emphasize because I, I could totally see him as a character doing that mm-hmm. I love those moments in books of where you see a secondary character accomplish everything they ever wanted to do in their life like just the ultimate culmination of their entire being is done on the page in a way that is almost irrelevant to other people this is that moment for Snape this is like where he's just feeling like this is the moment I have crystallized as a human being. Every mm-hmm. amount of pain is now justified for me having this second. What was formerly just a growing bud has now really flowered. I make so many weird herbology puns when it comes to Snape. Why? Is there is there something I'm not getting? No, yes, there's something and... you don't know yet, Spencer, and BJ's mean. <laughs> All right, I'm putting this entry. Well, well, but honestly, like, there's no way, Spencer, that you're going to, like... It doesn't matter right now, and it just serves to bother Sarah, which is. Half the point. <laughs> it, it also means that I'm running out of I'm, not, I'm running out of primary colors to insert on this you know word document I have of things <laughs> to come back to. I'm writing this one in love. I was gonna turn to the jewel tone, Spencer. It'll be fine. Oh God, I'm gonna have to be speckled from here. But, yeah, God help you when you get to the pastels. Oh. Um, as Loser. far as losers of the, I mean, we have a whole bunch of people who are not doing super well <laughs> in this chapter. But I really, I, I am really feeling for serious in this chapter. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, I think unless we're unless we're going to go to the sort of pain and confusion that Lupin was feeling 
No. I guess we could go there, but I don't think that's really fair. Scabbers is obviously still having a really bad day, but was very much background noise in this chapter. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I almost feel to a certain degree that the series is a representative of society being the loser here. That this person has been reduced to this mm -hmm. state as a result mm -hmm. of, as a result of wrongful conviction, as a result of what happened to him, as a result of them thinking that Azkaban is a reasonable place to put prisoners, and that's just tragic and sad and painful. This is a capable individual who could have had the same growing up adult experience that Lupin did and gotten past his childhood that's otherwise now barely even able to have a coherent conversation or even stand on his own power as a result of what he went through. That's mm -hmm. legitimately tragic. Yeah. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's my vote. It's a little bit of a weird, it, it's a little bit of a weird chapter for it, but um, Snape, hands down, uh, takes yep. all the coins. <laughs> No, no, I, I very much agree. The, on, the only fallback plan I was thinking of was maybe Ron, just from the series of injuries this man's accumulating just in the course of a conversation. But That's they didn't true. really... I mean, they only sort of happen this chapter, right? Well, there is He's, a rat they're that just is burrowing into it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That seems minor. His, his leg is just really damn broken. His shoulder's probably not great. He's got a rat that's tunneling into him to escape from the situation around. And he's trying to maintain British to upper lip while people are making him listen to info dumps. It's not great, but I think the guy that was locked in prison for 12 years probably trumps. Yeah, especially yeah. since, you know, most of the most of those injuries happened to Ron earlier, so he's just coasting yes. on the same low level that he was before. Oh man, shock is great. Mm -hmm. So, um, questions. <clears throat> so, Madam Pomfrey. Mm-hmm. How long has she been uh, the East German gym teacher? <laughs> uh, since she was approximately 12 years old, I think. Okay. Um, she seems a lot older than I expected. Yeah. If she was the one that was yeah. uh, leading Lupin mm -hmm. to the house. So presumably she was, well, she was Madame Pomfrey then. She was already like at least somewhat established and... Um, yeah, well, so she certainly she had to be, she's probably about, um, she's probably about the same age as Hagrid, I would say. How old do we think Lupin is, out of curiosity? Because I know he... Wait, I thought Hagrid wasn't much older than, he was like the class before, uh, James. No, because ha Hagrid had to be at Hogwarts, Hagrid is in his 60s. That's right, yeah. sorry, like the yeah, decade yeah. before yeah. James. Yeah, yeah. Ha Hagrid so Hagrid is Dumbledore in his 60s. Dumbledore was young. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore, and, was well, Dumbledore was a new professor. New professor. Yeah. And we do know that Hagrid had to have been there when the Chamber of Secrets was opened, which was 50 years before. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Lupin's a little bit deceptive when it comes to his age anyway, because he looks a lot older than he actually is, just from the trying experience that is his act of living. Yeah. Um, I kind of interpret him as being, I mean, again, I'm guessing, I'm guessing James and uh, name drop Lily was that mm -hmm. Harry's mom were pretty young when they had him anyway. Doesn't yeah, seem like... they were. They were like twenty one or twenty two, I think. Which would make Lupin like early thirties at most. Yeah, let me look it up because I I know I um, knew that at one point. So, but so that could perfectly make Madame Pomfrey in like her you know mid forties or something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that would be a really young teacher at that point, which. Obviously, could could be the case, but, but um, she she's a she's the nurse. She's not a teacher, right? Yes, she yeah she's yeah, the nurse. That's... Um, so James and Lily were twenty when Harry was born. So they okay, both died young. at twenty one. 
Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine them to be at least a little bit older. No, they got married very quickly out of school. Um, so part of the reason I'm assuming that James may not have been able to have an opportunity to go through the same character growth as Lupin is that he literally just didn't have the time. The man died pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he would have been in his early 20s. Um, or, I mean, he was 20. I'm sorry. Jam- yeah, James was 21 when he died. And... Um, you know, Sirius still would have been in his early 20s when he went to Azkaban. Which again just frames what a rough road he's been on. Is that mm-hmm. that man did not have much time for living before he got placed in hell. They were barely adults. <laughs> it's one of those fun things where we're all old enough now that we can look back at 20 and said, man, you are still a baby. Yeah, we're like the same age as Lupin is now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, bo- I mean, ba- barely adults and had a very rough, like, late teen mm-hmm. experience, presumably. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, another question, BJ, or shall I jump in with one? Uh, go ahead. Um, is the reason that Animagi is so thoroughly regulated the reason that Lupin offers that it's because of how dangerous it is of a process to become one? Is that the reason, or is it something more about how it could be used insidiously? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that that's, that that's part of it, um, which is the same reason that, like they keep the book with the Polyjuice Potion recipe away from the young the young that was students, right? the example I was going to mention, yeah. <laughs> yes, um, but if we, the more we learn about the ministry moving forward in these books, uh, the more I think we might all come to the conclusion that it is more about control. Yeah. Yeah. We've heard a lot that suggests the ministry may be a, intentionally or not, a pretty insidious, almost discriminatory organization. And like particularly towards like non-humans, that's been made very clear. Like the almost dismissive way non-humans are treated is not great. And yeah, that's worrisome. I'll be, I'll, it's interesting you see you say that that's going to be developed more of the course of the books. I found that rather intimidating so far. Yeah. Um, but I can also see it being uh, when there are people that are good at it and understand it, it being so much more powerful um, in many different ways because. My presumption in terms of how magic has been set up in this world, which I know is going to be ever-changing and bother me, mm-hmm. but you have to like know what you're dealing with to appropriately cast the spell. Sure. And if somebody can sort of change into another form, that spell doesn't shouldn't work the same way. Mm-hmm. Like the Expelliarmus spell, which seems to like be one of the more powerful like dueling spells like if you can sort of in that instant turn into an animal like they can't take away your wand if it's now so, part of yeah. you being an animal yeah. right that's that's a very good point i haven't really looked in that lens that the magic in harry potter really has to be custom tailored it really has to have a certain understanding of the, the events and the circumstances for it to work to the full effect it's intended mm-hmm. so yeah that, that that is a possible threat of this Clearly, as already established, the Marauder's Map, on the other hand, can just pierce through all of this because it's the most powerful artifact ever. But that's the exception to the rule. Yeah, so there seems to be, like, two points that that wizards are hilariously powerful. And Sarah does this, like, hold up other times where it's either they're ancient or, like, 13. (laughs) They're ancient or mischievous little prick. Um, let me think. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's think, no, that's not not entirely true. We do kind of moving forward. We meet like actual middle-aged, very powerful wizards. Um, but at the moment, that certainly seems to be what we're dealing with. I would say that it is more the norm than the other that we deal with. 
we, we have met other examples of surprisingly powerful witches and wizards in other settings. Like, we, I think we talked about Molly Weasley being mm -hmm. low-key, surprisingly powerful with her just casual casting of magic, which gives us a hint that the where the power resides is outside of both the teenagers and the arc bordering on lich-like individuals. But <laughs> we'll, we'll see what more comes. Yeah, I'm thinking... <laughs> Headcanon, Dumbledore died years ago and is actually now an animated corpse. Possible. We'll <laughs> see. Uh, follow, uh, any other questions, BJ? I got, I got three more, I think. Uh, no, I think I'm good for this chapter. Uh, Lufman very casually makes a reference to a cure for lycanthropy. Mm -hmm. uh, is that the same potion that he's receiving from Snape and it's just kind of like, almost like the treatment for rabies? It's really only effective as a cure in the early stages? Or is he referring to the idea that there has always been a cure, but you had, well, a cure has since been developed that it only would have worked if he'd got it very early. The, it, a cure has since been developed, um, but it only would have worked if he had gotten it early. You're, you're right on that. Um, so with the potion that he takes from Snape, it's unclear if that's, I don't think it's the same thing. I think it's something different. Okay. Um, and what we, and I, I can tell you, like, what we learn in the next chapter, I believe it's in the next chapter about that, is that what that potion does is turn him into just a harmless regular wolf. Um, so they, they that said, he can they, just kind of hide hide away. They said that here. That, that, that was oh, revealed they did. in this okay. Yeah. yeah. Which, which is fun. I, I almost probably enjoy that if I could just feel that kind of warmth of turning into wolf form and then just curling up next to the fire. Mm -hmm. they, they have a certain degree of perks. <laughs> I think he hides under his desk. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, okay, I've got eight. So is that r mm -hmm. related to being an animagus? No, because it's not controllable. The, I mean the potion. Oh, the potion. No. Okay. No, I think it's hmm. it's related specifically to being a werewolf. It, it works on that side of the magic, not on the becoming animal side of the magic, if that makes any sort of sense. Sure. That kind of naturally leads into my next question about, is are there means by which you can force an animagi out of form? Or like, you know... Uh, 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 get rid of the magical effect. The next chapter's coming, Spencer. All right, well, I'm pick, putting a... God, okay, well, I'm going to make this one speckled egg in terms of notes to come back to. I don't yeah, think you're going to need to come really back soon. to this. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty quick, okay. Uh, I've got like nine questions now that are just entirely prongs and various caps and various combinations in terms of trying to ponder out what that would be because the book has found a new way to taunt me. But I'm not going to give you an opportunity to taunt me with that, sir. So I'll skip that. Excellent. Being very bullheaded. <laughs> is it a bull? Is he just a bull? I don't know. <laughs> I, you, you are frustrating at what you know and don't know, BJ. It's a random assortment from here. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> uh, do we find out any more about the process of by which animagi develop? Uh, no, not the not the particulars of like how one trains to do it or figures that out. No. Even the overarching idea of whether it is simply like a potion that you take to change your fundamental character, or whether it's a, a, literally a, just a spell that you can learn. Oh no! It, I mean, it is a spell. Okay. I know it's not a spoiler to to tell you that it's it's a spell. It's not like a polyjuice potion or something like that. Okay, so it's not a. I have a spoiler hmm. question okay. that comes from that. Do I mm -hmm. need to turn off my headphones? No, it because I don't know the answer, and it and it's a question that Sarah you can't answer, but it seems like. Like, do Hermione, Ron, and Harry actually do anything interesting in terms of, like, wizarding? Or are they just sort of, like, <laughs> the people that are there and, like, sort of end up, you know, bumbling their way into doing some useful things? I can't answer that. <laughs> I, 
love the idea that there are some really awesome students that we're not getting to see because we're just fixed perspective through these through these three numbnuts. I mean, but honestly, like, it seems that the generation before them were good wizards, and they're just, who's there now? Well, there, there is still however the hell Hermione is going to all of her classes, but it seems like it's something that McGonagall may have told her or given her some degree of help there, so I guess that You'll wouldn't qualify. You'll find out in time, Spencer. Uh, you just need to wait your turn. I have, I have enough assumptions to probably get that pun. <laughs> but it, yeah, other than the prongs, dear God, the prongs thing, I, I think that's enough for me. Okay, well, this has been um, this has been fun, guys. <laughs> I, have, I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, listening to you two prattle on about all kinds of things. We know nothing about questions that you're not going to answer. Um, next week we have a very interestingly titled chapter: "The Servant of Lord Voldemort." Yep, man, we are chapter going, nineteen. You know, I hadn't looked at that. We are going hard for the next chapter, aren't we? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. we are. We have, we have left the fun stage of this book, so we are going on to the parts where people die. And we're back to the long chapters, which is annoying to me, so... <laughs> you've, got, um, you've gotten your monstrous amount of points, Sarah. Now it's just going to be hard to... Hard, you, you, how many chapters do you have from here? It's like three, four? Five. Five? I don't know. They're a bunch. Some of them are shorter. Not this yeah. one, though. Well, you've got the opportunity to get some points. But for the time being, y'all, this was a pleasure. Had a lot of fun with this chapter, and definitely looking forward to the next one. Sounds good.